0: This is Slashers, your new favorite podcast about your new favorite horror media. My name is Jake, and with me, as always, is my esteemed colleague, co host, and cohort, Doug. Doug, say hello to the Mutant Goons from beyond.
1: Oh, ho, 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 all you freaking Mutant Goons out there. Enjoy the show tonight. It's going to be a fun one.
0: I like freaking. I think that's nice because I, I even in the, the character of Santa, some Santas, Christmas horror story and stuff, they be killing fools, they be swearing. But I like that ours is a classy Santa.
1: Yeah, see, got to be. I'm trying to be on that naughty list. Need that uh, vibrator 2000.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it fits in your stocking perfectly.
1: Yeah, big stocking too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It Dangles all the (laughs) way to my ankles. But uh, this is a good opportunity to shameless plug. If you're a Patreon patron this month in December, all you have to do is send us a message on Patreon and tell us who's misbehaving, how they're misbehaving, and whether or not I can swear. And we will send you a custom. Recording from Krampus to get those motherfuckers in shape before Santa gets here. So there you go. We moving on. <laughs> I don't even know. Is um, how was your week, Doug?
1: Oh man, well, work is a fucking nightmare, as expected to be. But you want to know what? It's the holidays. Never going through hell right now. But oof, man, makes me want to quit my job by late January, early February. That's I'm giving my deadline that much because it's too crazy. But hey, it's a living, right? And everyone else is having a shit year, so. Everyone's having this shit.
0: Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, we're looking towards 2021 with the show, with our lives, with, I think, a lot of people. I've never been a New Year's resolution person by any stretch of the means. I never really, I'm always trying to progress. So I don't really need it on a personal level, but I like it on a professional level. And so when it comes to this, setting new goals for the show, setting new goals in our personal professions and stuff, it's a huge opportunity. And I think a lot of people have that mindset. So it's going to be, I'm very resolute that even if the circumstances of 2021 aren't better, our attitudes will be because we're going to have the conception of this is new. This is fresh. We're going to handle this, even though we probably won't get a vaccine until this time next year. Oh, joy.
1: Oh, geez. Well, did you see the first rounds of the vaccine? I don't know if it's real news, fake news, but I I saw it. They're giving people the paralyzed face. So half their face is getting paralyzed.
0: Oh, joyous day.
1: Yeah, so just a side effect, you might get paralysis.
0: Yeah, (laughs) so you'll live, but you'll turn into JR from old WWE wrestling.
1: Yeah, which I wouldn't mind. I'd like to have half a face stuck.
0: (laughs) Yeah, remember when you were a kid and you made the goofy faces and they'd be like, it's going to stay that way. I'd be like, good, that's the whole point of making this face.
1: Yeah, I mean, look at look at Sylvester Stallone. He's got, like, half his face stuck, and, you know, he's making millions. So. Dude,
0: how many excuses have you heard for how that happened? I've heard he was kicked by a horse. I heard, like, all these things. I'm just like, okay, neat. You know, like, I think it's funny in a lot of movies that Harrison Ford's in, he ends up like they explain his scar. I've never cared ever, but like they feel the need to crowbar it into the lore of stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, he probably did that. Uh, and now Disney's going to make a side story of like the scar of Harrison Ford. The yeah, series.
0: right. I could totally see that. I mean, look at Solo. Like, they did every fucking thing. It's like, oh, how he got his pants and how he got his gun and how he got a co pilot and how he got a ship. And I'm like, okay, neat. Or he went to a store. How about that? Like, I don't need to know how he was equipped with all this junk.
1: Oh, no, you're going to piss off the neckbeards. when they're like, you need a side story on the gun that he was holding. I was sitting in the theater, waxing their carrot to more Disney stuff on there.
0: What's hilarious is like, I think that Solo is probably my favorite of the Disney stuff because I went into it with the lowest of expectations. And I watched it like on Netflix or whatever when we were just having a weekend last year around Christmas. And I was like, this is delightful. Like, this is literally the least amount of effort I've put forth to watch Star Wars. And this is awesome. And I've seen so many people go, like,
1: it bastardizes everything. Oh, my God.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: like, well, I, yeah, I mean, honestly, the, the ones that are spinoffs, sometimes those are better than the other ones. I still think one of the best newer ones is Rogue One. I really like them.
0: Rogue One, visually, c'est magnifique. Logically, oh, like Donnie Yen, the Donnie Yen. Ip man amazing martial artist fun actor he's so good in the movie and he's doing you know evasive stuff and beating the shit out of people as a blind man and i don't know why but i cannot get over the fact that he goes over to the control panel on the beach and he's like dodging lasers but then he's like fumbling around touching stuff like he's helen keller to try and reach a giant toggle and i'm like okay I can't suspend my disbelief anymore. I've reached the point. I could suspend it for puppets and lasers. But when you're telling me that the magic man can't find the joystick, it's not true. A man always can find his joystick. Am I right, Doug?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. You know it too well.
0: Yeah, I found my joystick too many times this year. And that's
1: why Santa's
0: giving me coal.
1: Oh, yeah. That's what they say. Every sperm is sacred. <laughs> <laughs> oh Which, Yeah, that's yeah, the same. And if a sperm is wasted, God gets quite irate. So, yeah, you're going to be uh, punished for a while.
0: You got to love that because every ejaculation, there's like 50,000 sperm that just go away. Like Kung Fu, David Carradine just walking off.
1: Very sticky with David Carradine. So.
0: I was thinking about dicks, and David Carradine popped up who knows why. It's a mystery unto us all.
1: Well, I mean, that's how he way. I guess that's the way you would have wanted to go in the closet. Uh, in what were wearing, stockings, and he had it was a dick in hand. Autoerotic
0: so. asphyxiation, my friend. Now yeah, talking same. about ghosts and dicks. Is there a movie you want to talk about this week?
1: So ghosts and dicks. Uh, yeah, I guess this could be. I guess this could be a little falliger. Uh and okay, so let me just explain before I tell you what the movie <laughs> yeah. is here. W- what's the first fucking thing that comes to your mind when you hear a movie that takes place in Wisconsin? Uh uh-huh. uh with deer hunters. Uh it's Christmas time with a ghost samurai that uh, that only comes out when the girl orgasms.
0: Dude, this is this is the premise that I've been waiting for my whole life.
1: Uh, well, you're in for a treat, ladies and gents, because this is Blood Beat. Uh, it's from 1982, and it was uh, it's a Wisconsin Christmas horror slasher film with um with a story that doesn't make any sense maybe until about 40 minutes in. Even and, then, uh, it
0: kind of doesn't make sense.
1: No, it, it doesn't at all. And I even have it playing on in the background. And you know, I've watched it about three times, and honestly, it's just. I don't know what to make of it because it's is it it's like a mix of David Lynch and then you get a little bit of the room in there and it's unintentionally funny. That's the problem. It takes itself so seriously with the so concept. So seriously. So stupid, yeah.
0: There's this scene where the mom has like the trembling hand as if she's got like the whiskey withdrawals and then she takes the paintbrush with that hand and starts jabbing it in. And I'm like, uh-huh, I've seen this before. But it's delivered so straight that it's like, It's absurd. It's like it's as if you have the Benny Hill theme in the background, being yeah, because it's just and it happens beat after beat. Or, I dare say, Bloodbeat after Bloodbeat. Hey, yo, that's why they paid me the big hey, Yeah,
1: hey, there you go. And the thing is, Bloodbeat, the title doesn't even make sense. There's blood, yeah. but wh- where's the beat? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, honestly,
0: and I've, I've actually, when I was Googling, if you Google the name of the director, uh, Fabrice Anjay Zepharatos, like the third thing in at definitions.net is, what does Bloodbeat mean? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense and a little behind the scenes on this film the the director this was his only film he made and um you know here i'm thinking it's like oh yeah he's he's a french artist so when they interview the director I think it'd be a, like a one-off joke it's like oh yeah i am french artist and i made this film as a one-off it is it is what you make of it I was expecting that, but now you get, "Uh uh-huh, this film is uh, like uh, Martin Scorsese and uh, the the Brad Pitt is the main character and uh, Julia Roberts is the mom. It is Martin Scorsese film. And, uh, (laughs) yeah.
0: Yeah, and like he clearly doesn't understand the the joke of it all, right? And it's so weird because going back to Bloodbeat, the name, right? How many names did you see? Because I saw Bloodbeat, one word, Bloodwheat, two words, blood beat, a force of evil blood bells there are a bunch of different names and it's like i don't think that he even knows what it is so i can only imagine being somebody marketing this going like i i, I just don't know
1: yeah or it could be too you know when you eat beets and you like you like shit and it's you think you're bleeding out your ass and it's like, oh the yeah. blood beat. i guess that could be one way of putting it
0: yeah i honestly don't even know because like there's hotel transylvania if i'm not mistaken Adam Sandler makes a joke about how he doesn't actually drink human blood and I think he says uh, blood beaters and I, like the whole time I'm watching this movie I'm like I can't get Adam Sandler's fake Transylvanian accent the fuck out of my head and I'm watching a movie in Wisconsin with Samurai I don't know
1: <laughs> yeah and that's another thing too this film um, it's an early 80s film so it's just kind of a bizarro release here because it was put out by Transworld Entertainment and if you are a VHS collector they put out a bunch of rare ones like they put out Redneck zombies from Trauma before they came out, and they oh, they, I believe they put out Slaughterhouse if I'm not mistaken. Hey, so, there you go. Yeah, so Vinegar Syndrome must have gotten a, a, you know the line to release these on, on Blu-ray here because this I, I was reading some info. The uh, movie really didn't get that big of a release. The VHSs were really rare when they came out. And, um, it's not even like the original cover VHS looked like a horror film that the, the whole movie is just bizarrely made. So if, if you're familiar with things like the room, I honestly, they, they think they made a masterpiece. And a lot of these actors, this is their only one film they were in. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It's crazy.
0: You got Helen Benton, only film, Claudia Payton, only film, James Fitzgibbons. He does this film, then doesn't do another film until 2008 thirty three or thirty five years later. Like what?
1: Yeah. So it's just weird because, you know, you'd consider it to be like an art house film, but it's just, it's just meant to be taken seriously because uh, I don't even remember. I'll just call her mom that looks actually she's another character, too, because the mom, it pretty much looks like the the couch from Roseanne
0: mixed with Shelley Duvall from The Shining.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, she's wearing like this um
0: poncho. I,
1: <laughs> it's like a poncho, an Afghan. I think it looks. That's what it is. There you go. But and uh, yeah, so she's wearing that throughout the whole film. She never changes. And she's one of those people where she's like, oh, the, the daughter's here and uh, she's bringing a boyfriend over. And uh, basically, she's like, you can enter. You can enter my house of my family. She's one of those moms. Mm-hmm. So. I've <laughs> and, seen that uh, shit before. Oh yeah, many many times over.
0: (laughs) And it's just it's odd because so many aspects of this film feel familiar. You know, coming home from the holidays, having the odd like these tropes, and then it just there's the everything changes during the dream sequence when she opens a chest with a samurai outfit. And when I'm thinking about this, the only logical conclusion to me is that our friend Fabrice Zafarafatos. Just had a samurai costume, like saw it at a thrift store and got it for five bucks and was like, "Okay, I need to put this in a movie. And that's how it happened. I can't imagine that he had a movie and then had to send somebody out like a prop person to go buy a samurai costume. Do you agree?
1: Oh, I agree completely. I believe that's what it is, too. They had a samurai suit laying around and just kind of used it like that there but here's the thing if they already had the samurai outfit you don't see the samurai until like 40 minutes in and then after that it cuts to maybe like a few minutes at the end so you know if you're making a movie with a killer samurai ghost why not show him more? you have the costume
0: well it's antique that's why they got it at a thrift store so they can't be putting (laughs) in every scene and i know initially he's like all right i'm gonna do this awesome fucking kurosawa film and they're gonna duel and then he's like all right do you have a second samurai costume in this thrift store and they're like Nah, we got this sweet camouflage outfit you can have, and he's like, huh? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, just the making, it's just the idea of making this film is, is uh bizarre. Um, and like I said, too, I don't know how well versed everyone was. This is like their first film, but what have they done since then? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, you, I find that interesting. It's like, what has the director done with his life after this film?
0: Drugs, Dr-
1: <laughs> how does he afford those drugs?
0: <laughs> Hand jobs.
1: And jobs. Okay. In the back alley of France. I, I could see that.
0: Yeah. They're way more sexually progressive than us though. So they probably just do it out in the open. Who knows?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, last time I talked to a French person, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're French. So what do you like? Well, we're French. We like to eat. We like to drink. We like, <laughs> we like to fuck. We go to sleep at 5 p.m. We leave work. So I'm like, I I want to live the French life. That's that's the dream. All right, so- everybody,
0: I'm going <laughs> to declare this right now, open on the air, that for the January Patreon bonus episode, it's going to star French Doug. And Doug will not be allowed to speak in any voice but French Doug because it's my new favorite thing.
1: Well, thank you very much. That is a Jean-Pac-Pierre. So that, that's going a little Spanish twang there. But uh, yeah, so the other thing here, too. So this film, essentially what it is, it's just a Wisconsin uh, deer hunting family. And uh, it's Christmas time in Wisconsin with no snow. <laughs> and uh, the family all comes, and uh, the the son brings his girlfriend from college. She acts like she's a mind reader. What she reminds me of is uh, there's an episode of South Park where Cartman fights the psychic people, and he's like, "Yes."
0: Or a <laughs> dinner for <laughs> schmucks, with like, f-da, f-da. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of how it is here because. And the thing is, they take it seriously. Like the mom, she's like, you're, she later on in the film, she tells the daughter, she's like, you're not telling me everything. And she's like, mom, I'm not going to need to tell you everything. And then she just kind of does that, th- the scanner's face. And uh, reads the girl's mind. She's like, no, you read everything. How dare you? You're invading my privacy. <laughs> it, and it's meant to be taken totally serious.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that's amazing. So when I did some research on this film, they're talking about, you know, obviously I'm making the joke that the director was on drugs. In the commentary, he admits to being on drugs.
1: Mm, that's I, I missed the commentary. I better check in on that. <laughs>
0: huh. Oh, It's in French with subtitles. So it's definitely not worth the effort
1: okay because yeah that uh, that's uh, I just would love to see if they made Bloodbeat 2 I mean I don't know what you would make it on here but uh, yeah so so going on with the rest of the story is just uh, the girlfriend I don't know the mom says she knows her from way back when and uh, the samurai comes out and kills the family members every time she has an orgasm so when this girl gets an orgasm this, this samurai ghost comes out and kills one of the family. Yeah. Oh and, yeah, and the samurai also too uh, later on when he talks you can't understand Understand what he's saying she's like you the mom later fights him with his mind and she's like you cannot destroy me and then the samurai just goes, blah, 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 blah. And, and, i love and it's, it it's diarrhea mouth yeah diarrhea mouth
0: honestly if this movie was called blood beat off and it was about me masturbating and everybody died i'd commit global genocide so honestly it's probably a good thing that it's her orgasms and not mine because that's all i'm sitting there thinking it's like oh man by about 5 p.m i don't think i'd have a family anymore <laughs>
1: <laughs> well yeah i mean this girl just kind of gets off she's just sitting there uh you know flicking the bean and uh, <laughs> she, or- <laughs> she orgasms like three times when she kills the uh, the grandma and then the the dad that looks like um dan from roseanne <laughs> so a lot of roseanne references in this one
0: and also the movie's 86 minutes how many orgasms can you have in 86 minutes dude like that's some tantric <laughs> level stuff or wait the reverse the reverse of tantric, because I totally know what that is.
1: Oh yeah, well I mean she is French. I it should go on for a while. <laughs> I only get about two pumps in, and I'm done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the movie. One of the things I found fascinating. Uh, uh, apparently, this is all an accident. The director of photographer Vladimir Mall thought it was going to be shot for TV, so he shot it in full screen, not realizing this was a film. And like I, I cannot imagine what an awkward conversation that would be to be like, oh. With the budget and the terribleness, I thought this was one episode of something, and the director being like, this is out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's really what it is too, because the the Blu-ray, yeah, it's it's in four by three format. So, I mean, wh- who funded this? That's what I want to know. Who the fuck funded this? If, if the director didn't, couldn't explain to his DP, uh, and that's not not double penetration, that's director <laughs> of photography. The uh, like the, they're filming a TV movie, like. Wouldn't there be better communication between the two? Because they're like the closest ones that have to work together. Excuse me.
0: Doesn't (laughs) it freak you out though? Like imagine what we could do with this dumb podcast back in the 60s and be like, hey, I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to talk about stuff you've never heard of. Why don't you just send me money? every month to hear me talk. We'd revolutionize everything. I could only imagine what we could do with these backers. Because I'd go in there and be like, I got a great idea. It's a movie where a guy thinks he's a sandwich and murders people. And they'd be like, this is perfect. Uh, uh, <laughs> the, the nuance, the subtle nuance of your performance is beautiful. And I would probably have made Blood Beat 1, 2, perhaps even 3.
1: Uh, the orgasming that's a lot of orgasming
0: (laughs) yeah and so apparently the beat part is meant to be the beat of the heart right but it doesn't resonate because like the pulsing, and you'd think that if that's, if you're using the theme of the heart, maybe you use like the telltale heart. Maybe you use those tropes of like this huge anthemic sound. This movie sounds ass, right? Like the, like the sound effects are it sounds tinny and hollow. This does not feel like an immersive horror film. like the shots and stuff. You know, if you added some contrast and everything, sure, you could say it kind of looks like Hereditary. But without that audio, you don't get ambiance, right?
1: No, and uh, yeah, they must have been messing around with the boom mic, or they had it too far away. Because there's scenes where, like, an actress talking, then they're walking away, or they turn their head, yeah. and you can't hear what they're saying mid-conversation. Exactly, so it goes in and out. <laughs> so.
0: Like, how embarrassing must that be?
1: I don't know. I'm it, This movie is just such a mystery. It's it could, filmed in like the backwoods of Wisconsin. And and here's the thing, too. When it got a VHS release, I mean, the the tapes were, you know, far and few between. But imagine legitimately like uh, you and your family are renting a horror film. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to rent this film, Bloodbeat. You know, here's here's uh, Friday the 13th Part 2. Here's this film. Here's, uh, you know, these Halloween. And they're like, oh, Bloodbeat. Okay, I'm going to rent it. And you legitimately thinking it's going to be a horror film when you get this.
0: Yeah, because we were talking about this off the air, like obviously this isn't as funny as bad taste or as funny as blood diner but I found myself laughing almost just as much because I was like what like this is absurdism to a point where like you're saying like it's weird that the director didn't realize he was being hilarious
1: yeah and this is one of those films too I've only ever seen it you know in, in, in private at home but I could have. I would love to see this with an audience just yes. to get a reaction because you know you can really feed off the laughter from one another yeah I mean especially when the samurai starts talking it's, it's that and and, and it's supposed to be just taken serious. I'm like, what? What? Yeah. And
0: honestly, like the the blood is so absurd looking and everything. It's it's amazing to me that this exists. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, when you you catch the movie where you're like, how is not everybody talking about this? And like this is one of them. Like, how are people not obsessed with this? How do I not see blood beat tattoos all the time? It's so weird to me.
1: I'd probably got blood beat tattoo, but then again, people would see it and they're like, "Oh, you gotta, you must be a big fan of Japan, because you know it's like the the Japanese." That's uh, cultural art, so.
0: appropriation <laughs> to have a Japanese tattoo, fuck boy.
1: Yeah, imagine saying that like, "Oh, I love your Japanese art tattoo." Like, "Oh, my blood beat." One.
0: Yes. Oh, you mean the one where when the girl comes, the ghost samurai comes out, and they go, "Oh, I'm not talking to this man anymore.
1: <laughs> this man's a pervert." <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, another crazy thing too with this film too the the death uh, what was it the, the dad that's like a grandpa or the one that looks like uh, Dan from Roseanne when he dies he like he dies like almost three times because there's a scene like where he he gets stabbed like out the window then he goes to a car you think he got hit by a car and then he comes through the window with like broken glass on his face and he just scares the family and I'm like man this guy died three times yeah he it's looks like, like the-
0: Wolfpack Sting with that red paint on his face
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, it's it's hilarious, but uh and that yeah, bewildered
0: so look could, on his face where he's like, like what the fuck is happening?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 absolutely hilarious. And if you guys want a really good, and it counts as a Christmas film too because it takes place in Christmas, and that's why a, they go home. Yeah, there's a ghost Christmas tree that kind of dingles in a few scenes. But uh, other than that, then you wouldn't know it was a Christmas movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I can only imagine, like you said, sorry to kind of jump all over the place, but you had mentioned going and like renting this tape. And there are a couple different covers for the VHS and the poster and everything. And one of them, the samurai face, reminds me of the robot from Metropolis. And albeit there's a samurai sword, but I'd almost expect like some kind of artsy picture or something. And then you get it and it's like, this is just shit show. I love it
1: oh yeah i mean this is one of those films that maybe you cut the audio or something and you put it like on a vhs like a blank tape and just throw it in the park somewhere and just have like someone pick it up they'll be sitting there like this is this is like those snuff films from sinister am i gonna is the ghost gonna come after me now?
0: yeah you hear the drums from jumanji because as soon as you finish the movie you have to hide it because the next person you know they can't have an orgasm without a ghost until they finish the movie
1: yeah. So there you go. Maybe it's her, her sexual uh, regressions. She's taking it all out. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember the, it was like the, maybe the mid two thousands. There was a girl named Jesse Slaughter on YouTube and her video became famous because it was like the the hillbilly dad in the background uh, is telling all the cyber bullies. To, he's like, I'm going to call the cyber police and y'all done goof.
0: Yeah. Honestly, like, I don't know. I'm just in love with well, it.
1: Yeah, the the one girl that orgasms, uh, she looks a lot like Jesse Slaughter. If you need to Google her, do it because it looks just like her. And I thought it was hilarious. And she has this really bad, uh, like this haircut with the bangs that come over. Worse than, uh, uh, who is the main lady in Scream 3? Those are the worst bangs I've ever seen in a film. Oh, it's Courtney Cox. Sin- Courtney Cox, yeah. Courtney Cox's bangs. Those Have are you the worst seen bangs her I've
0: respond seen. to mean tweets about her bangs in that movie?
1: she's no, literally tweeting back
0: at people be like what the actual fuck like it's so mean and it's like well it's not entirely untrue
1: yeah can you believe that was a style <laughs> the,
0: the style to have no style almost like bruce lee jeet kundo and yeah, that was a bad reference uh doug i have to bring up a point with you mm-hmm. it's only 84 minutes long which means it's perfect because you, you don't get the fatigue of the weirdness You know, you watch some things, you watch Eraserhead, you watch Combat Shock, and you're like, okay, my patience is gone. I'm done dealing with Mm -hmm. the weird shit. I want this movie to be over. You never get that with this, right?
1: No, you don't get that. In fact, it goes by really fast, too, because you might even have to watch it twice to really understand what's going on. Um, This kind of reminds me, especially with the editing, if anyone's familiar with Shea St. John on YouTube. Like those, that style of um editing, that that's kind of how this is, where just random things flash. There's even some like random flashes of World War II footage, and yeah, just a lot of weird editing with the colors and the lighting, and it just feels like a Shay St. John short. So that type of bizarre art is what they've made into this film, as as an 84 minute film, but. uh yeah, it's, it's absolutely bizarre, and me explaining it uh, may, hopefully just in- intrigues everybody to want to go see this film, because I can't really explain it as much. as You just have to sit there and watch. And not to mention, too, the house is unintentionally creepy. I always thought those wood panelings uh, in the walls uh, and, and dirty carpet always... Made for a creepy atmosphere because
0: but- you lived in the Midwest, so like those panels, they creak and shit during like w- the temperature changes in the house, and it just sounds haunted.
1: Oh, exactly, and that, maybe that's what it is. My my childhood uh, remembrance of wood paneling because everywhere in Ohio had every house had wood paneling on the inside. So if uh, if you guys remember what, what were they little uh, little cabins in the movie The Howling, the original Howling, yeah, uh, that yeah, wood paneling on the inside. That's how a lot of houses looked, and I don't know. it's just it just Sets up for a creepy atmosphere. I've always found that unintentionally creepy. I can't explain it. I
0: got it, dude. The slats are akin to the pieces of Japanese samurai armor on the suit because it's inhabited by the ghost samurai from her orgasm pussy.
1: See? Whoa. I mean, that who? Oh, that is hot. Oh, that is hot. <laughs> oh, I'm waxing the cannon. Oh, Oh, you, <laughs> <laughs> you tell that to the director probably say, like, huh? No, I just made French slasher. What are you, on drugs? Yeah,
0: right. I, I would love, just like that, uh, what is it? I think it's the, uh, the conservative Armenian politician caught in 35-man gay orgy, blah, blah. I love the idea that this like dude on most drugs accuses audience of being on drugs. <laughs>
1: yeah so there you go i mean if you if you guys want to experience what cocaine was like cocaine ever directed a film besides maximum overdrive then yeah right
0: Stephen king was on all of the cocaine but i i think you just made the great point blood beat from the nosebleed from cocaine and the racing heart this director had from a to b yeah
1: double b and and before this too when vinegar syndrome released it i also thought too, blood beat like maybe a movie about killer killer beats
0: like vegetables but uh sorry that's from the beats from doug but i also wanted to call into another thing because we're just kind of floating around because i love this honestly if you hate this new format of the show you're wrong because this is what i love because it's just eagerness and excitement but the other poster for the film it the samurai looks like a goddamn robot That's broken, like Darth Vader fucked one of those Doctor Who R2-D2s. And there's like, it looks like a scythe, but it's supposed to be a sword. And a woman is riding a dude's dick and his head's flying off. And that is on the Blu-ray.
1: Yep. And I have the Blu-ray in my hand right here as we speak. And uh, yeah, that's what it looks like. It looks like that vacuum from the Tilly Tubbies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, I actually (laughs) know what you're talking about.
1: But yeah, no, it's it's so this movie just doesn't know what it is. Even from the new artwork, it's like it's a is that a samurai? Is that a is that a robot? Is that a vacuum from the Tilly Tubbies? It's, what the fuck is this movie?
0: You want another what the fuck? Samurai ghosts, French guy directing it. What do you think the name of the production company was? Husky Pup Film Productions. So I imagine a fat Midwestern kid from Wisconsin
1: yeah they're like like uh-huh, what was what my name company? Okay, in case like husky pup Productions. uh i got my husky pup here <laughs> and, and there you go husky Pup. Hus- yeah I, I feel like this was just um the whole the script the the outfits the the husky pup productions it was all made with people just throwing ideas out and they're like okay that is a good idea we take that and like it was like a table read where they all had uh, you know all you can eat uh donuts or something and they're all just throwing ideas out and then putting it together in the script
0: well also I think it might be a certain degree of you know ask forgiveness but not permission like maybe a director of photography who shoots the entire film wrong Maybe it's just the costume person is just like, you know what, I'm just not going to tell the director and see if he notices. And maybe, maybe in the original script, it was a Viking, but they couldn't find Viking armor. So they just went with the samurai. And maybe instead of Wisconsin, it was going to be Egypt. But then they are like, ah, well, we could only afford Wisconsin. And so he just was so coked out of his mind. He's like, okay, this do this
1: he's <laughs> like this is America in Wisconsin yeah. and, and there's no other place around here um, I, I, here's another funny thing too like after I watched this the second time um, have you ever seen Tim and Eric's billion dollar movie
0: clips yes
1: <laughs> okay well there's a sc- like well it's the opening scene when when they uh, Tim and Eric direct like this horrible uh, it's a billion dollar movie and they only shot like three minutes of footage because that's all they could afford because they bought like a real diamond suit and everything like that and then after they watch it it's so like like blood beat and then i can only remember i can only imagine the investor sitting in the room with the director uh watching blood beat and the and you know at when it's over fabrizio zafrato says like oh this is awesome, right this is martin scorsese and the investors just look at him like i want my motherfucking money back
0: that was my kid's college fund you cuck give me my money back
1: yeah, because that's that's what the guy says in the Tim and Eric movies. That like, he just—it's like I paid a billion dollars for this piece of shit. Yes. <laughs> but you know, you want to know what some people's shit is? Other people's uh, polished turds. Because you want to know what. Look at all these years later. We're fucking buying the Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> and if you're not willing to buy the Blu-ray, it's on Amazon Prime for no extra cost. And it's on Tubi. So this is a movie. It's This is a perfect movie to just introduce yourself to and just have fun. It takes no investment. But then you can patronize it if you want Blood Beat 2. Apparently, Zefratos has talked about wanting to remake this movie for like 20 years
1: that that could be interesting but i know what it would be if you've ever seen um honestly i, I think it would be kind of like the Terra films where, the, where there's so much uh you know crazy cgi and color color changing which could be interesting but um yeah i just I, that's that's my goal to find out what this director is doing today
0: yeah well if you know let us know at slashspot at gmail.com Now, moving on to the next topic, you know a guy who might really like this movie? My good pal, Travis Ayers, producer of one, Sist. And so as part two of Cystmas, which is an entire month dedicated to our patronage of the cast and crew of the film Sist, I'm interviewing Travis. Travis is fucking cool. He knows his stuff. He knows horror. We talked both on and off the air about a bunch of cult stuff. And this seems right up his alley. So please enjoy this interview with Travis Ayers. This is the part of slashers where I interview someone and I still have no but fucking idea how to cue it in. My name is Jake, and with me for the first time is my good pal Travis. Uh, how do I pronounce your last name? Because I don't want to fuck it up. Ayers. 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 I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'd be putting on Ayers if I said it
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so we were just talking about the idea of interviewing and how fucking obnoxious so many interviewers are. And here's something I want to get at. I think that the, the key thing, you're the producer of SIST. I get it. Cysts exist. Dermatology. Blah, blah, blah. The inspiration is not what's inspiring to me. I want to know what gave you the fucking balls to go, you know what? I'm going to get thousands of dollars, hard-earned paper currency, and make this movie. Because I tell you, tons of people have flippant, quippy little ideas on Twitter or whatever, but to actually make it the thing... That's brass cojones like I've never seen.
2: So yeah, I don't know exactly what the, what Tyler Russell director had said. So yeah, over the summer, we actually, so George Hardy, one of the lead actors, we've worked with him for God, probably like three, three and a half years now. He was actually at his lake house in Lake Martin. Eva Haberman came in from Germany, kind of had like a little get together out in the boat. Tyler met him out there. And I think they even shot like a short documentary. So anyways, Eva kind of was like, hey, like, I want to make a movie. I want to get involved in a movie do you have any ideas? So from what I heard, I guess Tyler rattled off, you know, four to five different ideas. And it wasn't until the last idea that she was like, Oh, that sounds interesting. And that last idea was cyst. So it was kind of just like, not bottom of the barrel, but it was just like, okay, I'm going to throw out one more thing. If she doesn't do it, then we're gonna have to come up with something new. But yeah, cyst was the last choice. And I would say, you know, this was in August. So I would say, like, technically pre-production actually started in early September.
0: Uh, of 19? Yeah. Wow. Because you stopped shooting at the end of December. It was quick. Yep. Damn.
2: Turnaround was very quick. Yeah. Yeah super quick.
0: That probably adds to the gumption of getting it done, right? We're like, I'm making an impulse decision. I got to get this shut done right now.
2: And you know, that's how my brain works. Yeah. I'm good and bad. It's uh, I have a very like impulsive kind of personality. So being able to go into pre-production for something I'm already excited about. And then, you know, less than two months after that to actually start that project. I mean, it it definitely catered to my personality perfectly. Uh, it was kind, of, you know, it was balls to the wall, like nonstop. But I prefer to be busy. I prefer I don't like having any downtime. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, September, October, November, it was nonstop. I mean, shit. For even for example, Thanksgiving Day, I was at my girlfriend's get together, and I was actually doing casting for the movie. Nice. Uh, literally like weeks before we actually started shooting. So it was, you know, yeah, it was nonstop, but with that being said, I wouldn't have it any other way.
0: What's amazing, you're talking about casting and everything. Like you have legitimate people that are garnering like great metadata and like I look at the cast and like th- this is established. Like these are people who I, I I even if you know the layman who doesn't host a stupid horror podcast from his fucking garage, even if that person can't say, "Oh, I know who Gene Jones is." They go, "I've seen that guy before." I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about the process of casting some of these guys cuz it seems like
2: yeah. So yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, it is like such a, you know, just within the past two to three years type of story so i had actually so i was doing pr for a theater here in pittsburgh at the time and one thing that i would do is like it it was always tough to fly in actors to do like in-person introductions Mm. q a's and stuff oh yeah so i kind of just like randomly one day got the idea to just reach out to people uh reach out to their agents their publicists whatever to get just a quick you know five to 15 second introduction and then we would just you know put in front of the movie so it like added some like extra value to it and surprisingly i mean i probably got like at least a dozen like no response or no's but for the most part i mean most people were like excited to do it i would always let them you know i'm always like hey if you have something you want to promote please do it like just you know let them say whatever they want they can do it with their cell phone like it doesn't matter. As long as we could hear them, that's all I cared about. So yeah, the first one that I got was, uh, we did, so the way the theater was set up, like each week was a different theme. Gotcha. So it'd be like Tom Cruise week, you know, whatever. There was a week in December where it was John Waters. Week. Nice. And I'm a huge, yeah, huge John Waters fan. So I reached out to his agent. I'm like, Hey, we're doing a, an entire week based on John Waters film. Would John be able to do like a, a quick introduction? And she said, yes. And then literally like a week later, he sent back this, I mean, just phenomenal introduction, like backdrop, everything. Nice. Tells a really cool story about how Divine's family uh, was actually from Pittsburgh. So like a lot of cool little tidbits Very and, you cool. know, it, it it added a lot screening. So then fast forward to, I think it was that summer, uh, a reoccurring event we would do is we'd have a midnight showing of Troll 2. Nice. And I always wanted to, so I had, had added George Hardy, uh, the dad of Troll 2, probably not too long after uh Best Worst Movie came out, so I added him on Facebook. So I'm like, this guy is just fantastic. I just want to keep up with what he's, you know, what he's up to basically. Absolutely. And he keeps and a pretty
0: busy schedule and his practice, which is amazing, but keep going.
2: It's yeah, his the fact that he's a dentist full-time and an actor. I mean, yeah, he's consistently doing stuff so, yeah, like I was just like, you know, I've been friends with this guy for almost five years now. Like there's no reason why I can't just reach out. So I sent him a Facebook message. He sends me this long message back, you know, very excited. He'll do it, blah, blah, blah. So he did it. It was like whenever we would show Troll 2, it would always be a sellout. Uh, it was like 83 seats, but it would always be a sellout. So sold out crowd. They're cheering. He does the piss on hospitality line. I mean, it was it was perfect. So from there, I had noticed like when I looked George up on like IMDb Pro, I I kind of noticed that he didn't have any kind of representation. He didn't have a publicist, didn't have anything. And just out of the blue, I was kind of like, hey, like, you know, I'm looking to expand my PR career and want to get within, you know, work directly with film, movies and TV and stuff like that would you be interested in having me come in as your publicist PR agent? And he got really excited. He's like, yes, I've been looking for that. Would love to do it. What the and fuck? Then this even, is awesome. Just like, yeah. I mean, and that's like, I, I always say this, like I, I just did an interview uh, with a gentleman named Rob livings. He actually runs a uh, film school out of uh, Sacramento okay. and it's a film school for adults with disabilities. Badass. And one thing that I told him in the interview, I was like, You know, my entire career is based off of asking, like everything that I've ever done has just been me asking and, you know, whether I get a good response or a bad response, you know, it's, it's all been based on asking. So yeah, I asked George, he signed me on. And then from there, he was like, hey, I don't know if you'd be interested in this, but I just finished a movie called Texas Cotton that I was the lead in. And we're actually looking to have someone do our marketing and theatrical booking. So I you know, called Tyler, talked to him for a little bit, wasn't really sure because, I mean, I'd never met him. This is yeah. the first time I'm talking to him. He's just taken George's word off of it. You know, George just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. He's like, you got to get this guy. You got to get this guy. Yeah. So anyways, Tyler agreed.
0: And by this point, had you seen the short or the feature length version, or are you just going off of so word of mouth?
2: Off word of mouth. Damn. Honestly, like word of mouth. I signed on, and I was like, you know, I probably, it was probably a month after I signed on until I actually saw the feature. Oh, shit. And then... I didn't see the short until I mean probably like months after our our like tour that we did. Like I had never seen the short even wow. when I was doing the marketing for it, uh, which. I always tell Tyler this I am such a big fan of the short because I love Mark Burchard. and there's just a different kind of humor in the short than the feature. I love them both, but the short it, it has like a very special place in me. So yeah, we uh, we did marketing and then me, Tyler and George essentially spent seven days together. And each day we flew to a different city. So we like started in San San Antonio, we went to Dallas, we went to Houston, we went to LA, we went to Salt Lake city, and then we actually ended in Pittsburgh. So, I mean, you really get to know people when yeah. you spend that amount of time with them and you see, you kind of see everyone's just like lack of sleep, yeah. frustration, stress, but like we were all such a good team. And I mean, there were just times where we would laugh so hard, like, behind the scenes and in person, George is one of the funniest fucking guys I've ever met to the point where like, I can't breathe because he's making me laugh so hard. Awesome. So we did all that. Um, Tyler had worked with, so like most of the cis cast is from Texcon. So we've got, you know, George, we've got Jean Jones, we've got Terry Bennett, we've got Torn Davis. So a lot of the cast did come from Texcon. Yeah. But then when I came in, uh, like before, like, this is after Texas cotton and like all this stuff, Uh, the spring of the following year, I had done the same thing uh, with Greg Sestero. Like we would show the room and I reached out to Greg and he came in, uh, he stayed at my place and we almost, I mean, we hit it off immediately, like just instantly hit it off on so many levels. Uh, And then that same weekend, because I knew he was coming into Pittsburgh, I'm like, Hey, can I book you in Cleveland? I have a good contact with theater up there. And it was just like, you know, we started in Pittsburgh and then road trip to Cleveland. And then, you know, from there on, I just became his theatrical booker. And then sometimes as far as like, you know, if, if a production comes in, like getting him movie roles, like just working with them on like so many different levels. And I like always wanted to, so he had never met George. Right George on. had met Tommy at the Scream Award years ago, but Greg and George had never met. So when we started in September, one of the first things that came up is is Tyler's like, hey, can, do you think we can get Greg in this movie? And I'm like, well, let me see. Let me ask him. And I talked to Greg, you know, tell him, hey, you know, probably have you for three or four days, but like get to work with George. It's going to be a really fun set. All this stuff. Greg instantly said yes. And one thing that came out of that that I absolutely loved was... So George was there before Greg. Yeah. Greg got there on like a Thursday. When Greg walked on set and like him and George first met for the first time, it was one of the coolest experiences ever. I like desperately wish we had it on camera because you could just see like the the eyes light up and it yeah. was just like a meeting of like the bad movie gods. Um, so yeah, it was it was really cool and it was really funny too because those two, I mean, they had so much to talk about, so much in common, and I would say, I mean, I've never seen George like connect with someone more than Greg, and they're literally like absolutely best friends at this point. So yeah, Greg not best got fiends brought into the like shuffle. the
0: sistero joint with <laughs> Tom. I know I do research, <laughs> motherfucker. Keep going.
2: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> very similar to that, but there's no F isn't in uh, uh, parentheses. Parentheticals. Parentheticals. Yeah. I can't even think of the word for that. Um, So yeah, basically all the cast is, is people that we've worked with before, which, you know, I had never realized until I became a producer that it made the most sense. Like, cause I always look at guys like Tarantino and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of other directors that consistently will use the same cast or at least use the same actor. And after Sist, I totally get why, because we already know that you know it they're easy to work with everyone has already worked with everyone so they all get along I mean because there's you know the budget wasn't you know this million dollar budget so there was a lot of like low budget constraints and all the cast like everyone was troopers and I really think it was because we had already all formed a great like just bonding um, and I think if we would have had someone someone else come in I think they would have you know there would have been a lot of difficulties with that so I totally get why people continue working with the same people yeah. because it just makes it so much easier and i mean it it also makes it more fun like cyst was a very fun set to be on and i kind of like attribute that to people we've already worked with so a yeah. lot of that is great um yeah so basically everyone kind of meshed very well assist and you know it was it was one of the, it was basically just like hanging out with your friends that's that's honest to God what it felt like.
0: Rather than making a movie where you happen to know people who become friends, because I think it's a huge point, you know, anytime you're in any kind of management, there's always that divide of being like rigid but also being friendly. And there are advantages to it. And so it sounds like you get the best of it because, you know, they'll go the extra mile. They'll go the all right, well, sure we've gone twelve hours. What's thirteen? I'm enjoying it, versus like now in my writer it says twelve hours and you have to suck my dick at twelve oh one. So <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, that's that's honestly accurate. Like Gene Jones in particular. So he read his part of Mr. Sherman, but one thing that he did just because he's just like fucking amazing. Like that that's the best way I can put Gene Jones is just fucking amazing. He actually brought a lot of just ideas to his character that to me added so much more just, just like an aura vibrance, like it added so much to his character and even down to um him wearing a scarf. Yeah. Like Gene wearing a scarf was never supposed to be in the movie. It wasn't in the script and Gene was like I think it would be cool if I wore a scarf so that way the cyst is kind of like it's hidden. So you you know there's something going on cuz waiting to be seen. Yeah. But it's it's covered because of the scarf. So I think when that gag actually happens and the actual reveal happens, I think it adds so much more to his situation because of that one literally like small wardrobe idea that he had so there was a lot of that
0: he's very manic throughout and so it's easy to go oh that's just a crazy character but then you see like the sense of shame and you're like oh wait that's why we're all here you know because like to a certain extent a lot of dermatology is vanity so i really you know enjoy that as well
2: Yeah, no, he, like I said, he was one in particular that I thought he just added because he was only, you know, he was only on set for probably two days. But just in those two days, he added just, he added so much. And it's just always good to have just like, you know, one of those like legendary actors. Uh, He was kind of like, uh, can't think of the word to put it, but like he was kind of the like the... The judge almost like he was kind of like behind the scenes, like everyone kind of listened to him, wanted to hear what he said. And you know, some of his stories, like, you know, I think one of the most fascinating stories that he told at dinner one time was his dialogue scene that he had in The Sacrament basically led Tarantino to write him a specific role in The Hateful 8. So I, th- I always thought that was cool cuz like, you know, Gene if if any of the listeners haven't seen The Sacrament with Gene Jones, I I highly recommend it. He has a dialogue sequence that's just like it's psychotic how good it is. So, yeah, no, Gene Gene brought a lot to the movie.
0: That's and so going off the whole like kind of creating a role for a person, like you have Eva, dude, where the fuck did she come from she is so like charming and sincere like she hits on every fucking level i'm like man i could watch any movie and have her be the final girl and i wouldn't even question she's not from fucking illinois i'd be like yeah sure run bitch like there's michael myers i she was awesome how how was it working with her eva was like incredible
2: uh she was also you know just one of those situations where mutual connection so her and george had done a movie called goblin two several years ago and it's like a, a a sequel of sorts to Troll 2. And George actually plays uh, Michael Waits, the same character that he played in Troll 2. So those two had met each other in Germany when they were filming
1: that and then so fast also, forward to, off, for yeah. the
0: layman listeners it, in america it can also be called under control t-r-o-l-l yep. or troll yep. world which the yep. names that you can find but <laughs> the fact is with the flat earth and the digital world and vpns or whatever you're going to find the same shit under five titles so i don't want people to get confused but keep going
2: exactly yes and so under control if anyone wants to check it out it is on streaming formats you can buy it watch it anywhere it's the most batshit crazy movie yeah. I've seen in years. It so looks like if, it. If, yeah, it's it's all over. So we actually got in touch with Eva, Eva through George. We knew we wanted to release Under Control in the States, and Eva had always wanted to do that. So we set up a recording session where we had some of our voice actor friends come in and do an American dub of Under Control, which... It makes it even more bad. Sh- like it just added another level of batshit yeah. to already bat shit. Uh, so yeah, that was a lot of fun and that's how we actually met her. And for anyone that, you know, Eva was really big in the nineties. That's kind of how she got a really big break. She was on the TV series Lex, mm-hmm. which was on the sci-fi channel. Uh, and it was just like, people love Lex. Like there are so many Lex fans out there. And then she, I mean, she really built an incredible career in Germany and You know, to me, she's probably one of the best actresses in Germany right now. She's just been, I think she has that almost like, you know, Jean Jones experience. Like she's just been in the game for so long and have worked, she's worked on like no budget to multi-million dollar. Like, so she's, she's seen it all. And I think that experience allowed her to bring so much value to SIST. And we always had her in mind for the lead. We basically like, it was almost wrote for her to an extent and seeing her act. And I mean, you just, you really feel for her character, even behind the scenes. Like when we're filming it, I'm just kind of like, Dr. Guy is a piece of shit. Like I hate Dr. Guy. And it's like, Dr. Guy sucks more than the fucking monster, dude. Dude. Dr. Guy is like the big, like i I would rather support the monster. Like if the monster needed money and he was like on the street, I would give the monster money before I would give Dr. Guy like Dr. Guy's a piece of shit. Yeah. So so, yeah, Patricia is just this like foil to Dr. Guy. And you know, there is like a love interest between the two, but Patricia, my favorite thing about her character and even Eva is she's just a badass film, like an actress, like she's fucking just such a badass and just takes no shit. Like, especially her character, like, she doesn't take shit from Dr. Guy. She like sticks up for herself and just has like, she just has things to say to him that most people, cause Dr. Guy kind of walks over everyone in the office yeah. except for Patricia. Cause she just, you know, she puts her foot down and she literally lets them have it, especially during their fight scene. She really lets them have it. Yeah, dude. Um, But yeah, she, Eva is just, she's just a badass. I mean, it, it was so awesome to work with her. She had so many cool stories. I mean, just a complete professional.
0: And also, I mean, she did 60 60- plus episodes of that show and did that help i mean in terms of the timeline she's working fucking 900 miles an hour doing weekly tv and so doing a movie especially you know an hour and nine minutes i mean the amount of hustle and i'm sure your shoot wasn't a month long uh so did she bring a lot of like knowledge and uh, assistance and kind of propelling everything forward during production
2: she was another one yeah she um because she was there so it was a four-week shoot almost and the last week that we were filming, she was the only actress or actor on set.
1: Right um, on. So
2: everything was just her. And she was another one that just like, you know, she would have ideas like maybe I should do this or maybe I should do that. Um, I mean, there was even a point where she purposely fell really hard, like Hmm. fell really hard just to make it look realistic. So she's in a way like a very like method actor because she's willing to take it to the next step. She's willing to come up with ideas. She's willing to work with ideas. Uh, She's very open to things. And yeah, she was an another one that was just like just so easy to work with like you don't have to tell her what to do she knows what to do she's always on her mark you know it's just like for me as a producer I couldn't get more lucky to have her, especially, but the entire cast was just so all easy to work with. Like, they're just all phenomenal people. And I think because they're good people, that makes them better actors and it just makes them so much more easy to deal with. Like, I'm sure there's going to be a time where I'm going to, you know, deal with like a, a few nightmares, yeah. but. As far as cyst goes, I mean, it was, it was perfect. Like I couldn't, you know, yes, there are complaints, but like besides that, I mean, it was, it was just great. And Eva was one of those main reasons why it was great.
0: That's amazing. And so like going into production, I talked to Tyler a little bit about like the creature design and everything. Uh, How was that dealing with, you know, actually... Strike that whole stupid question. What the fuck does a producer do on a movie like this? Because there's the producer who's like, hey, I got you a bunch of money. I'm going to put my name on this movie. Fuck off. And then there's a producer who's practically a gopher with the title of a producer. What all are you doing? Because there's a ton of moving parts, especially when you get into a creature and gallons of fake blood and multiple shooting locations. Like, what's up?
2: Oh, dude. It's literally, you nailed it right on the head. Do absolutely everything. So yeah, myself and and Andy Silverman, the other producer. uh, I mean, it was just like anything and everything that was thrown at us. uh, it, It was literally so like a lot of the things. So me and Andy, although we're both producers, we had, we kind of focused more on different things. Whereas Andy... More so, dealt with like the financial and contractual side of things. Gotcha. And I dealt more with the casting, the location. Uh, I worked very directly with Tallinn Effects, who actually provided the, the special effects for cyst. Uh, one of the reasons is because they're actually based here in Pittsburgh and mm-hmm. I had already known a lot of them prior to this. Um, but an interesting story that kind of happened before we started working with Tallinn Effects is. The movie was initially supposed to be filmed in Oklahoma. Really? We had found, yeah. So we had found a uh, an old asylum in Norman, Oklahoma, that had been shut down for gosh, probably ten to fifteen years, if not twenty years. And I mean, it was it was perfect. Like you you picture an old fifties hospital. This is what it was. So we actually like we started there, and come to find out, uh, there was asbestos oh, in no. the building, and
0: more like we, s worstus, am I right?
2: S worstus, yes. So on top of the s worstus, <laughs> uh, that was one issue. We could have gotten it clean. Uh, it surprisingly wouldn't be that much of a hit to the budget, but at the same time, when you clean that stuff, it does. It's ne- not necessarily ever gone. Yeah, it's it's just kind of removing it. So we didn't want to take that risk. The second red flag that happened with Oklahoma is we were reaching out to local crew and everyone I was calling, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm already tied into another project. I I won't be available till January. I mean, just one person after another. I'm just like, oh, what the fuck? Like, are we not going to have a crew for this movie? Well, come to find out, Matt Damon, of all people, huh. was filming a movie in Oklahoma, and he was taking all the, the crew. So everyone was already tied up in this Matt Damon movie. So we didn't really, you know, we weren't able to, to actually get a crew. And then the other thing that, you know, I kind of looked to him as a uh, I think we list them a kind of as like an an early advisor. Uh so I am a big fan of practical effects yeah. and to me one of my favorite movies that has practical effects is a movie from the 80s called Society oh, uh, yes. there's some Nasty
1: yeah, so, boy.
2: <laughs> yeah so like the shunting scene yeah. I mean, there's so much just fucking it, it to me like I know a lot of people list the thing uh, as like one of the best practical effects which I'm not going to disagree with that It they are fucking incredible Yeah. but me personally I've always been a big fan of of society. And well, there's nothing like
0: society. Like, like there no, are other nothing. sci-fi movies. And also, I think one of the strengths of the thing is like everything around it, you know, the use of negative space, the acting. But society's like balls to wall, like, what the fuck? Why is his face where his asshole's supposed to be?
2: <laughs> exactly. And I, I I've always gravitated toward movies like that. Like, yes, I do like the thing and I like the blob, uh, both versions. But I like I, I think we kind of talked about it earlier, even with just interviews. I like different things. Yeah. I like things where you know it might not be the best movie as a whole but i like people that technically i mean think fucked up thoughts like i like people that have just these warped brains that come up with these crazy ideas because that's tip i mean that's how my brain works a lot of times like i want to do stuff like this and i always admired practical effects for society and one of the like one of the special effects artists from that movie nick benson um I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go out on a whim. I was fairly positive that he had retired from special effects at the time. yeah. And I'm like, you know, maybe I'll be able to like, kind of like nudge him out of retirement and all this stuff. And I was able to do that. Uh, so I actually got Nick Benson out of retirement. Um, and he gave us a lot of g- good, like early on, like advice as far as like, you know, how to do certain things and even like what he thought, like what he had in mind that the cis monster should look like. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he was there in the early stages. Unfortunately, when we moved the production to Baltimore, because um, he, he was in Vegas, warrants, I believe. Right? he had outstanding (laughs) warrants he actually had outstanding warrants in all 50 states and we weren't able to get them no uh so it was just it was just going to be too big of a hit to the budget for him to because a lot of it like you know to get casts of uh some of the some of the people like for the effects um having stuff shipped from vegas i mean it was unfortunately it was just going to be a really big hit to the budget yeah and we we just weren't able to do it and it you know really sucks. And, you know, I, I've told Nick every single time, I'm like, you know, the next one or like some fashion, I'm going to work with you. Cause it's like always been a dream of mine to work with you. So, you know, he gave us a lot of early on stuff and then I, you know, we're kind of struggling. It's like, Travis, do you know, cause the, the film school that I went to, uh, it was a, there's a film program. That was ran by George Romero. And then there was a special effects program that was ran by Tom Savini. So I had always worked with, you know, even in in school projects, I had always worked with special effects artists. So, you know, I have a very deep appreciation for like practical effects artists. Hell yeah. And I had met uh, Steve Tallin, who is the owner of Tallin Effects. Uh, probably like four years ago, we were, uh, there's a thing called the George Romero Foundation here in Pittsburgh. And we were gearing up for uh, George Romero Day, which had actually like the mayor had kind of given a specific date to be dedicated to George Romero. And me and him were in a lot of those meetings together. And, you know, we hit it off, We, we bullshitted about a few things. And when I kind of got hit with the situation where it's like, okay, we have a very effects heavy movie, but we don't have an effects team. What the fuck do I do? Yeah. And I reached out to Steve, and you know, like my favorite thing about and effects is, they, you know, we didn't give them the budget that they are normally used to, and in all honesty, like what they deserve. But they were understanding that, like, we had a specific budget, couldn't go over.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, we had something in mind. They worked with us from day one and never, you know, no complaints, like, made the absolute, I mean, no passive aggressive comments, us,
0: like, well, if I had just five dollars
2: yeah. more. Never, ever like that never happened. And I mean, they did like a hundred thousand to $200,000 job. Like their, their stuff was so mind-blowingly good Yeah. and on the spot. And I mean, they drove, so they were able to drive their, their van with all the stuff from Pittsburgh to Baltimore, which is like a, I think it's like a five hour drive. And one of the most interesting things about that is, so when we all visited the shop, probably in early November, we had only got to see like some of the practice, like the smaller cyst mold. Uh, We all got to agree on what the pus color would look like. Yes, very important. So we, yes, very important. The devil's in the details. so we did green, we did orange, and then we decided kind of on that like, because another inspiration for the movie is reanimator. Perfect. And we all love that like bright neon green. Yep. And, you know, we, we didn't want to like copy that directly. But then we saw the yellow and just like adding like a glow to it. So we settled on that. But yeah, like on set. So we had actually, ne- like, we didn't see what the cyst monster looked like until they arrived on set. Wow. So that anticipation was uh, very nerve wracking. Although I knew Talon Effects would knock it out of the park and I never had anything to worry about. Yeah. But in the back of my head, I'm like, is this just going to be like a bucket painted brown or like, <laughs> right. you know, a, a million things are going through my head and it's like, fuck, this is, you know what it is. But like, or like I said, worse, I always if it's had like
0: 99% perfect. But that like one thing that's wrong, you're like, ah, oh, fuck that one thing's gonna <laughs> uh, haunt me forever. Like one thing. Yep.
2: And you know, again, they, they arrived with it and God, it, it again, perfect. Like just another thing that like, you always worry about on a low budget feature but then you know like i said you work with good people they give you good stuff so Tallinn effects knocked it out of the park as well um yeah and it was always in the beginning like there was never a desire by any of us because that's just not the type of horror fans i'm out of the out of tyler and andy i'm by far the biggest horror fan um so i offered a lot of insight in that regard hashtag humble brag brag, yes Uh, and one thing, I mean, I wouldn't have turned down the project, but I was very persistent about, like, you know, as a horror fan, like, I'm going to be turned, I'm turned off by a movie if there's so much you know, CGI and visual effects. Yep. Like I want to go back to things like society where they're body horror and when they're, you know, I want those practical effects. Yep. So, you know, yeah, like there are some visual effects that we had to use in SIS just because budget constraints and it was just a lot easier to do. Yeah. But no, one of the biggest things that was very important this whole time was we have to have practical effects. And I'm very pleased. Like final product looks phenomenal, so very pleased with everything.
0: And this is something I talked with Tyler about, yeah, the the length of the movie, all killer, no filler. Because you could have padded this with 20 more minutes of fucking dialogue. Why? Frankly, I don't give a fuck. I don't have the time to give a fuck. And this movie, it's like that creature or some effect is going on. I'd say at least 40% of the film, there's some, some form of special effect. So that's awesome. One thing I'd be remiss, I didn't talk to Tyler about it. Guys in rubber suits never get love. What was it like working with Kyle Roberts, the guy in the rubber suit?
2: Kyle was amazing. Um, so I had never met Kyle and Antonio, the, the two effects artists that came with Steve that were a part of Tallinn effects. Um, both of them, I like instantly became like friends with them. Nice. I just obviously there's that horror connection and, you know, we, we nerd out about horror movies and stuff like that but just like solid people. I mean, just good dudes, like down to the very bottom, like just solid people. And Kyle was such a trooper in that suit. I mean, that suit was pretty fucking heavy. Dude, it's and huge. then, yeah, <laughs> very heavy. And then each time, like, you know, not to give away too much, but like the suit would get things added to it. Yeah. So it would progressively get heavier. This and... isn't even my final form. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad you did that. Cause that's what it was in the back of my mind. <laughs> (laughs) Um, so yeah, he was trapped in this suit for multiple hours sometimes. (laughs) And I mean, you know, it's, it's claustrophobic, like just all the things that could happen when you're enclosed in a small dark space surrounded by plaster and i mean so much stuff but at the same time he's not only concentrating on like where he's walking he's concentrating on making the eye move or you know making the tentacle move so he's also control like he's working he's working as an actor but he's also working animatronics at the same time so you know this is a guy that's doing literally three things at once all the while trying not to fall in this giant monster suit. Yeah, dude. So imagine going to the ER with
0: this thing on. The doctor's like, what happened? You're like, dude, it's been a long day. And that's a shameful (laughs) experience
2: which would have been fantastic because I know they did that with like uh, I don't remember which Friday the 13th it yeah. was but like one of the Jason's like walking into like a public place and just sitting down and just like having like the public look at him uh, that was always one of my like marketing ideas that I had in the back of my head like yeah, let's dude. have Kyle go to like Walmart in Baltimore and just like walk through Walmart and buy things in the sis costume and see if anyone pays any attention to it
0: oxy pads or whatever (laughs)
2: exactly like just to pick up things like that and just to see what people's reactions were but you know unfortunately we didn't get to do that but yeah if if there is a a a fango award or uh you know an mvp award it it would on it would go to kyle like kyle was just like i mean like god three things at once walking controlling an eye and acting so yeah kyle i mean hands down like god round of applause for kyle and it's also like
0: you have to worry about how you're seen too because there's also the artistic element like sure just like the, the mechanical element of the eye has to move, right? But it's also, I have to make sure I'm in position so that this light will hit this eye in this way because I know that, like, and you know as well, we were talking about this before, the last thing that you did is your business card. So you could make the best fucking animatronic suit in the world, but if some dickhead lit it wrong, or some asshole edited it like shit, your, your work is going to look compromised. So there's a whole other level that goes into that, I think. I'm going to cough right now, so hold on. <coughs> No COVID, don't worry. <laughs> so I've kept you at thirty-eight minutes. Do you have a heart out, or can we keep going a couple, a couple extra?
2: Let's do it. I'm, right. I'm here for you, brother.
0: This is going well enough. If you ever want to come back, you're you're blood in, blood out, homie. You can come back anytime.
2: Oh hell yeah, man! Can we review blood in, blood out? Have <laughs> you ever seen that movie? No, I've just heard the term. <laughs> it's a very like it's like about like hispanic gangs in la yeah uh, really actually like a great film from the 90s but i feel like it would i don't know how well it would resonate with the horror crowd but hey, I never ever want to do a, know. <laughs> if you ever want to do a blood in blood out review video um i'm very down with doing an episode about that <laughs> well like
0: the amount of people who've requested that we do ready to rumble i'm like jesus fucking christ like you can't give me feedback for something that has metadata but whatever <laughs> So going into it, you know, talking about boring bullshit interview questions, it's always like, what's your inspiration, blah, blah, blah. What are things that inspire you from completely different areas? Like, where's somebody like, that motherfucker has game? You know, because you you said one thing, you're wearing a Bruins shirt, but you said a King's thing with Wayne Gretzky. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You just ask. Like, that kind of gumption. Can you think of anything in your else in your life where you're like, oh, you know what? That might not be me,
2: but I can apply that to me. So it's fascinating that you ask that. Um, I had a moment, probably just within the past couple of weeks. Uh, so growing up as a kid, uh, my dad, my mom, we'd go like religiously go to the video store every weekend, and I would always remember on Sundays there was like a deal for like five movies for five ninety five. So I mean, for six years straight, probably from like age twelve to sixteen, seventeen, or whatever. Every Sunday, I would rent five movies. So, I mean, I'm seeing so many fucking movies in one year, and I'm getting a lot of inspirations. Like, you know, I remember when I first saw Texas Chainsaw for the first time. Ugh. I remember, like, sweating the whole time because I was so nervous and, like, didn't know what the fuck I was watching. Um, There's, like, and, two know, gore and,
0: effects in that whole fucking movie, and it shows you yeah, like, just how bloodless. crazy it is. Yeah,
2: it's bloodless and it's just like the fear of not knowing what is actually going on. Like, why are these people doing this? Why, why does he have a chainsaw? Why does he have a skin suit? There's just so many whys in that movie. and I I really think that, that Toby Hooper really, um, I think he really captured like just sweaty Texas, like such a weird term, but like you feel hot watching that movie. And I know it was like 130 degrees or whatever on set, And I just feel like he captured an environment and then, I mean, there's that fucking shot where he goes underneath the, the the swinging bench. I mean, dude, like people to this day still fucking lose their mind over that shot because it's it's mind blowing. Like yeah. you you do in the back of your head, even as a kid, you're kind of just like looking at it. And you're like, I don't know what happened there, but that was a really cool shot.
0: Yeah. And sure. then
2: when you actually get in the film industry, you're like, oh, like that was some monumental shit. I yeah. mean, it just it's crazy about stuff like that. But the realization that I came to. And it's not like odd to say like I'm very like I'm very proud of it. But I want to say one of the first inspirations that I saw in my late teens that really like gave me the kind of like self-esteem to like do a movie is uh, Eli Ross Cabin Fever. There you go. Yeah. Um, I felt like uh, I was probably like a junior or a senior in high school, so kind of like very close to figuring out like what I want to do career wise, and I really wasn't sure. And it was there was something about Cabin Fever. And I think it was just like, you know, Eli is like in this movie, he's thinking like me, like there's the the gross gore, the violence, but also there's the, the humor, like the humor in Cabin Fever is very similar to my hu- sense of humor. And I'm kind of just like, you know, it's it's corny to say, but I'm like, you know, I'm not alone. Like, it, yeah. it, it was a weird moment. And I don't know why this just hit me. I mean, I'm 32 now. I don't know why it just hit me so many years later that like Eli Ross cabin fever is genuinely the reason why I really moved forward with the stuff that I'm doing, just because it seemed like it also seemed like it was just a, would have been a fun set to be on. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I want to have fun with people and make movies. And then the biggest payoff is, yeah, you get paid for your movie, you get paid for your hard work. The biggest payoff is always going to be the audience's reaction. Yes. Like that's been one of my favorite things with cyst is, you know, we, uh, We'll peek beyond the curtains. We did a special premiere in Australia, in Perth. And uh, we had a really great crew, Rob Living's, who I spoke about before, that runs the the film school for adults with disabilities. He had coordinated this excellent crew to shoot kind of like interviews and like pickup shots. And they did the, the gimmick where, you know, they set up in the theater, did the, uh, the night vision nice. and get, getting reactions. Like, cause this is a movie where you want to see reactions. You want to see what people are reacting to the most.
1: Absolutely. And
2: this is like probably three. It was like right around Halloween. I get a text message. Cause he's, he's West coast. I get a text message around midnight. I look down and it's like, looking over the night vision footage, someone fainted. And I'm just like, holy fuck. That is, you know, I hate to say it, I'm glad the person's okay because I never wish, you know, I never wish ill will on people. I don't want anyone to get hurt. But the fact that uh, something that I created and helped create gave that reaction to someone, Um, it was, you know, <laughs> it was an accomplishment. Uh it, it felt good inside. You know, like I said, I'm glad the person's okay. But it's like, that's the reaction that I want to get and the other thing that's interesting about that and it kind of does go back to cabin cabin fever because a lot of things that like you know there were a lot of critics that like buried that movie but I also think with that movie a lot of critics understood that it was like almost uh an homage and it necessarily wasn't supposed to be taken seriously I mean you know even down to like obviously like the evil dead references in the movie with the cabin and stuff like that and then even so, the other thing that always drew me to uh, cabin fever. Sorry, bouncing all over the place, but. Um, boun- uh, so one of the things that always drew me to cabin fever is I had this is kind of fucked up. I had seen uh, last house on the left and I spit on your grave at age 14, 15.
0: Wow. That's when puberty and hormones and you're like, Oh, I can't
2: (laughs) understand what's going on in my body. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of fucked up. But one thing that like Eli did that, like just, I'm just like in love with is he, he ripped the, the soundtrack from last house on the left, like pulled a lot of like songs from David Hess and, it also like hit me when I was thinking about this cabin fever thing. When I was on MySpace, I like didn't know what to like. This is even before film school. I'm like, who do I get in touch with or who do I need to like speak with to get in the film industry? Cause yeah. I like, I'm from Southeastern Ohio. I didn't know film school was even a thing. Like I I just assumed that I had to make movies and then someone would see them and be like, oh, okay, you're in the film industry now. Um, The Robert Rodriguez way of it, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And that's a a great example. And I kind of thought, hey, that's maybe how you do it and uh david hess i reached out to him on myspace what? and i was like <laughs> yeah i was like hey david like you know really big fan i'm trying to like work on a short movie script and i wanted to know if like i wanted to know if he could be not do the score but just be in the movie because you know i loved him in last house on the left and he's also in this like obscure diaderto movie called body count that i really liked too and i was like hey like i'm just like a Fucking jabroni from from Ohio that just wants to put you in your mood, like in this, you know, thirty minute short, and he responded back so kindly. He's like he's like, I really wish you the absolute best. And I really hope everything works out for you. And he's like, if you ever need anything down the road, please contact me. But he's like, unfortunately at the moment, I feel like my asking fee would be too much for this type of situation. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't a letdown. It was kind of just like, Oh, and it, it, again, it brings it all back to how I got my start is by asking. Yeah. And if I didn't ask David Hess, to be in my fucking, I don't even know what, I don't even think I had a script. I probably lied to him and said I did have a script. I didn't have anything. I hit him up on MySpace. He responded. I mean... You should well, he never... responded and
0: gave you credibility because he was like "You're you, what you're doing is valid right and that's what you're looking at Eli Roth and he's some guy who you don't know but because he has an analogous situation he gives you credibility because you know it's a gamble like film school like do you, I bet you still have debt student loan debt that's the crisis that's going on everybody's talking about corona that's a pandemic real pandemic is fiscal I'll tell you that right now Sally May, fuck or what's her name now Navient fucks me raw dog all damn day <laughs> mm-hmm. so yep. these people treating you with dignity and respect makes you feel like this is your life now like that's intense
2: yeah it's it's really important um and yes i do have you know my debt's gone down a lot but like in the beginning i mean it was just like i never regret going to film school because i did learn a lot and i did make some good connections while in film school yeah but at the same time i mean I have been able to base everything off of asking and just working really hard at it. Yeah. Uh, and another thing, you know, once you get to the point where like, you're, you know, I don't like you're in you, you can, there's no, there's no stopping you. So I think it's just one of those kind of like sayings where you're going to get more experience doing something than learning about it. Yeah. So that was always, that was always the thing, but yeah, I I don't, it's just, it's so important for me just to kind of hammer it into just anyone that wants to get into this industry or any industry is just asking. I mean, fuck, I went from asking David Hess to asking George Hardy, like, Uh, There, there's such a, I don't know, it it was a very easy way. Granted, I had to do a lot of like bullshit and had to take a lot of jobs that I didn't want to take. And, you know, I had to do a lot of BS for probably six or seven years. But now I'm to the point where I'm able to do what I want to do. And one thing that I've always focused on is I've always been able to do like work with the people I want to work with. Yeah. So like George, Greg, uh, one of my other clients that I work with is uh, CM Talkington, who directed a movie called Love in a 45 in 1994. And like Tarantino, you know, basically said that he's his favorite impersonator. And he's also kind of glad that CM didn't make any more movies because he would have gave him a run for his money. And same thing as George, you know, I reached out to CM. I'm like, Hey, like, can I help you with your social media? Can I help you with your marketing? Can I help you with your press? Like all this stuff, it's, it's all stemming from asking because yes, people are assholes, but there's a lot of like good motherfuckers left. And if you find one of them and you're willing to work hard and help them out, they're going to repay you for life. And that's, You know, George and Tyler, like it always goes back to them because those two are the one that trusted me and let me do my own thing. And ever since then, I mean, you know, yeah, I just made a movie about assist Yeah, and I did want to touch on one thing about the runtime. It's a movie about assist. Like there's no, no reason, no reason at all for a movie about assist to go over 80 minutes. No reason. I'm sorry. Like. Like even cyst five, like there is no reason to go over 80 minutes for a movie about a cyst.
0: Have you seen clown? Yes. Yeah. Have, same yeah. thing. I'm like, it's the same fucking movie, but just with filler, which is fine, but it's the same movie as the short. So it's like, I understand a little bit of padding. You want your actors to kind of add that to their portfolio. their are they're, real and everything. But also like, it's weird as far as like putting it into film contests or whatever we call them, uh, like festivals. Is it awkward with that kind of a runtime? Cause it, are people still treating it as a feature, even if it's on the shorter side?
2: Um, yeah. So initially there was some kind of like, you know, you would occasionally get a question about like the runtime and like, no one's really like jabbed at it. Like even the critics are, there's been a lot of critics that have actually like understood like same thing that I just said, like it's a movie about a cyst, like it shouldn't be any longer. Yeah. But just as like a sneak preview, uh, to sell the movie for, you know, because we we just had a the film shown by um, AFM mm-hmm. through our distributor, uh Ravens Banner, who has been, God, such a big help. And I also have to shout out uh Peter Kaplowski, who is kind of in charge of Toronto Film Festival and does like a lot of the afternight programming. He's one of the ones that really fought for us and he actually got us in touch with Ravens Banner as a distributor. And you know, I can't thank him enough and I just wanted to give him a shout out. There we uh, uh, but yeah, so our, our, we had Sys at the American film market last week and oh, such a big hit, like, you know, Raven's banner had really good things to say they're like, God, people love this movie. Everyone's interested. And you know, yes, there are some platforms that it does have to be a certain length. Yeah. So what we're going to do is add, I think we literally just have to add three to four minutes to the movie. And we will meet those guidelines. So there is, you know, there's not really per se a specific time that you have to hit for festivals. But when your movie does get purchased and distributed, you know, yes, there's like, even for like, if SIST if were ever to be shown on TV, you do have to hit a specific good point. Uh, runtime to get picked up by that. And, you know, we didn't really, we had that in mind. But also we're very like, we are so pleased with the runtime that we had, and we're like, we can't add anything. But now we have like some pretty good ideas, and I think everyone's happy with what we'll be adding to the movie. So Um, I think now's the perfect time to announce
0: to everybody. You're adding a plucky radio host named Jake, (sighs) who says butt fucking all the time, and he's gonna cue in the movie, cue out the movie, and, and casting. I mean, I signed an NDA, but here's the time it's me, right? yes we actually brought you in
2: on uh our plan is after this podcast airs we are actually going to fly you down to austin put you into a soundstage and you're actually you're going to actually give a a rod serling type introduction to the film so that's you know here's here's the reveal now but you know yeah that's what we have planned perfect
0: (laughs) Uh, i'm glad that we got to have the exclusive on the show i feel it's very synergistic at this point yes (laughs) all right man well this was a fucking blast and we're going to yes. have links to all of your social media and everything in the episode description. I'm going to be uh, hyping cyst. You know, when you reached out to me, it was right before my son was born. And I said this even to Tyler, I was like, do the amount of people who just like flood my shit where it's like, Oh yeah. Like, I'd love it if you could do this. Like, I'd love if you could be my free fucking billboard. I get it all day. Mm-hmm. And let me tell yeah. you, you as a person, you as your product, everything stood out. I'm so happy to share our meager audience with you and I'll go to bat. Because I loved CYST. My wife, who's a very normal person, loves CYST. Everybody (laughs) I've talked to about even the concept (laughs) of it loves CYST. So I think that this is going to be gangbusters. And I'm super excited for you as a friend and as a fan of your work
2: i appreciate that so much brother i mean yeah like i said i remember when i reached out to you and then even in the back of my head i'm like this guy probably gets so many dms that it's just like he, he doesn't even read half of them so i'm just like i wanted to do like you know and one thing that tyler said and i spoke to you a little bit briefly is you're the type of host that yes you will talk about but fucking yep. i mean that's that's who you are basically. it's obligatory like, do- i
0: actually signed a contract. Yes.
2: You have to say it at least three times. Nope. But with that being said, you are one of the best in terms of like horror podcast, especially. As an interviewer, you hit all of the right notes. You don't ask the same questions nope. that every other person asks. And I really appreciate that from you. So yeah, I'm going to put you over yeah, as dog. a person because you, like I said, you knocked it out of the park. I've said that as many times as you probably said, but fucking, <laughs> so maybe... Maybe this one, this episode will be called butt fucking knocked out. I, I don't know. I'm yeah. sure that we actually you could go with the title that we uh we messaged back and forth if you want to do that. Yeah, but. I'm
0: Jake the <laughs> cuck boy extraordinaire who has a real job, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sometimes you gotta be a cuck. That's that's what we kind of we we bonded on per se. There but no, go. man, you your your stuff's great. We are myself and Tyler are very excited to be on the show. And yeah, if you don't, if you ever want any other sisters, uh, like George Hardy or Greg or any of those guys, I'm sure they would love to be on. So keep all us of the posted. above.
0: And I'm taking yes. the message, the Aesop's fable, the moral of the story. I'm going to ask. Thanks to you.
2: You got it, brother. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Goodbye. And good die boom Doug this was a fun episode god damn can we just create a subreddit or something where it's like only send us movies exactly like bloodbeat to talk about from now on and then that could be our the new show
1: oh yeah no I'd love it because you want to know what the movies like this it's just fun to explain because everyone's got a different opinion of it and everyone can pick up different things with bloodbeat here you know what I mean like these movies like this it, it Builds conversations. You talk about this, you'll probably make friends for life later on down the line. For oddball movies like this, my buddy Alex Powers, uh, you know, back in high school, we would talk about movies like the like just oddball, offbeat films. And we've been friends for, you know, fuck, 10 years, 10, 15 years. And then we directed two fil- or three films together. So, you know what I mean? Oddball stuff like this brings people together. And it's it's more than just a cult. It's, it's, it's like an audience where you can just bring in together and you guys know what you're talking about and no one else gives a flying fuck.
0: I think that's a really great point is film is so fraternal in nature because I was talking to one of my friends about, you know, the, the, what could very well be the end of movie theaters and just talking about like, imagine explaining the kids in 30 years. Oh, yeah. We used to just go to a place where the floor was sticky and we would all watch movies with strangers. Because it's, I, you know, it seems that the, we're getting farther and farther away from that element. But the fraternal nature of movies and, and watch parties and stuff, I totally get it because it's such a different experience. Like, obviously, I'm a film head. Why wouldn't I be if I had this show? But I'll tell you I'd say the best memories I have on this show in in life sometimes are the memories I have watching movies with friends or, or that kind of weird absurd experience.
1: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and if if we did sound a little jumbled and crazy with the when we were talking about Bloodbeat, that was absolutely intentional because the way we jumbled around all over the place with Bloodbeat, that's exactly how this fucking movie is. So you got a little taste of its own medicine.
0: Yeah, seriously. Good luck. If you can do a better review episode on Bloodbeat, you let us know at slash spotted gmail.com I'll listen to it and I'll plug it on my own God Jam show because I don't think you can do it any better because this movie doesn't make enough sense to have a linear path
1: no and that's another thing too it's like this is just such an odd and that's why I love vinegar syndrome but there's such an oddball film to get a full 4k restoration from the original negatives I'm reading that back here I'm like man this is uh they went above and beyond it's like they had to go dig in someone's like fruit cellar to, to find this and you know clean it up I can only imagine what, what the condition was like
0: yeah exactly. So this has been a great episode. I want to thank everybody for being involved. Doug, I want to thank you for being my co-host, Adam, Adrian. I want to thank everybody. Jim, we have such great, wonderful people. We also have awesome Patreon patrons. If you want to be one of them, it's really easy. Just fucking figure it out. If you don't, but you want to help, leave reviews and bullshit. You can call me a bug man. I think it's hilarious. And honestly, <laughs> just be great to each other. Like We have so much to be thankful for. If you're in a position where you're having us talking in your ears and you're in any kind of climate controlled environment, you don't have Ebola and you're not being subjugated in some terrible form, say it's a good day. So please be grateful for each other. Please be excellent to each other. And just I'm excited for the year to come. And I hope you all join us. So goodbye and good die.